Hello there, and welcome back to Inside the Vault, episode number 26, a Carolina Panthers podcast. I am your host, Ryan Smith, and as you know by now, this podcast is brought to you by the Keep Pounding Podcast Network on Twitter at kppounding underscore FSSN, and this podcast also powered by Fans First Sports Network on Twitter at Fans First SN. My latest guest here on Inside the Vault, he is a play-by-play broadcaster for ESPN, but you also know him as your play-by-play broadcaster for the Carolina Panthers. And uh, if you also haven't heard, he co-produced, wrote, and narrated the podcast series Cardiac following the 20th anniversary from the 2003 Panthers Super Bowl team. Follow him on Twitter at Sharaf Play-by-Play. Welcome to the podcast, Anish Sharaf. Anish, how are you? Ryan, good to be on with you, man. Good to be on and, and talk a little Panthers football, and hopefully we can uh, turn the page from 2023. Well, I'm going to – my first question, if you haven't heard uh, or listened to any of my episodes, um, the first question I've asked so far uh, since the season began is just kind of recap the Panthers' 2023 season. So that will be my yeah, only think- question about the 2023 season, then we can – Turn the page. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot to unpack there because I think sometimes what happens, oftentimes the way we feel about it has to do with the prologue and the backstory. And and I think you almost have to go back to the end of 2022, yeah. where this was a team that went six and five down the stretch and played a meaningful game in week 17, had a lead on the road against Tampa. In fact, a two score lead going into the fourth quarter. And then we had to bear witness to what ended up being the last great game of Tom Brady's career. Yeah. But when you factor in a coaching staff that was brought in that basically was universally praised in the offseason a year ago, where you felt like you had the right people with a number one pick, you're going to take a quarterback. Uh, I, I don't know if we had designs on, on winning the division or making the playoff, but we felt this was a weak division. We felt there was a chance to do some damage, and boy, it it just magnificently, I think, blew up in everybody's faces in a way that we really couldn't imagine. And I said it going off the air week 18, I said it was a miserable, forgettable season. It's up there with 2001, or I should say down there with 2001 and 2010. You know, it was one of the worst seasons in franchise history, and you hope, you hope like when you go back to 2001 where you know there were some roses in the rubble and there were some building blocks from that team that 2 years later were a big part of a championship team and you hope that you know there are some stalwarts and pieces from this team that hopefully can be a part of a contender uh, sooner rather than later but it, it was a tough season all around i think we just expected uh, i'm not saying to go to the playoffs or anything but i just think we right. expected more especially on the offensive side yeah, and we'll get into the recent um, head coach and GM hires in just a few minutes. Um, let's just talk about the offseason and getting into that a little bit. In your mind, what is the team's biggest need this offseason? It can be uh, a position. It can be something beyond football terms. What is the team's biggest need this offseason? Now, really, I think it's a couple of things. I think one, just philosophical alignment. Uh, You go back to last year, right? Frank Reich was brought in, and on the offensive side, you had a lot of differing philosophies that you were hoping in a perfect world create this team of rivals sort of impact to borrow from history and kind of what Abraham Lincoln did, right? Let's take 
you know, Thomas Brown from Sean McVay's tree and this guy with this philosophy and mold it together and on paper that sounded like a real, uh, you know, novel idea. It's not something you see. Usually guys hire their buddies and it was, again, people were all for that. They thought it was a really good concept, a good idea. It just didn't work. So I think having alignment, learning the lesson from, from that standpoint, making sure everybody's on the same page so you just don't have – um, you know, factions or turbulence or what have you. And then the other thing is just playmakers. Um, yeah. I think offensively, you know, whether you point to receiver or running back, tight end, hybrid, we need playmakers. Part of the struggles last year, the reason it was so hard to score was when you do look at the scoring drives that the Panthers had, they had to go 75, 80 yards, 12, 13, 15 plays. That is not sustainable over and over and over again. No. So we need guys who can you know, take a five-yard screen and turn it into a 20-yard gain. We need 15-yard runs. We need 25-yard passes. We didn't have the explosive plays, and I think in this league you need explosive playmakers to do that. So I would say philosophical alignment and then a need for playmakers. Well, let's go into playmakers. Um, who are some of those free agent targets that you imagine the Panthers uh, would go after? Um, for, it doesn't have to be a playmaker, but it could be a no lineman, could be um, on defense. Who, who are some of those guys that you you feel like the Panthers might be targeting free agency? I do. T. Higgins is one that people bring up all the time. Well, you know, he played at Clemson. Obviously, there's that local aspect. People in this area know him. He'd be very marketable if he would come to the Carolinas. But you know, you also read that the Bengals could franchise tag them, I and it could be a tag and trade. And do you want to give up more draft capital? That's a question the Panthers will have to ask. So I'm sure they're going to look at the receivers that are out there. I don't want to speculate as to who they're going to go get, but they're going to look at the receiver market. They'll look at the tight end market. And certainly they're going to look at the O-line market. And it's not just free agency. I think you're going to see those positions – uh, analyzed and scrutinized and addressed both in free agency, also the draft. And what I don't think people realize is all of our starting offensive linemen are under contract, at least through next year. And some people think that's a wonderful thing. And some people think that's not such a good thing. So um, there's a lot that goes into even something like the O-line as a perfect example. Um, you know, Icky had his struggles as a sophomore slump. Uh, the guard was a rotational, gravitational pull there at guard. And then uh, Taylor Moten, the old steady, uh, did well. But I think his play was slightly uh, declined from previous years, but still very done, well done. And then Bozeman, um, outside of Wilkes' run-first scheme, it seemed like he also regressed a little bit. So – uh, a lot to go into, like you said, into that O-line play and how they're going to do that moving forward. Yeah, and part of, again, what you're saying, I think it still comes down to philosophical alignment, right? Yeah. Um, you know, a lot's made of what's Dave Canales going to do. And before Dave Canales was hired, a lot was made about, well, who are they bringing in? What scheme do they run? And I talked to a lot of coaches across all sports on the regular. It's interesting how many of them downplay scheme right? Frank Smith is in Miami. There's certain things you can do because you have Jalen Waddell and you have Tyreek Hill and you have right. and right. you have Raheem Mostert. There's yeah. certain things you can do in San Francisco because you have Debo and McCaffrey and Ayuk and Kittle, right? So you may not be able to do that with the personnel you have in Carolina. I look at leadership and I look at adaptability. Can 
Dave Canales come in and say, okay, these are the pieces we have. Let's play to the strength of our players. Let's fit the scheme to our personnel. You know, the, the best example I can think of, and this is a, a college football example, but you go back some years when Rich Rod was fired at Michigan, right? Yeah. And they ran that spread tempo offense. Offense wasn't the issue. They bring in Brady Hoke. In Brady Hoke's first year, he looks at his personnel and he goes, hey, we got Denard Robinson. Let's stay with the spread principles. Right. And end up going to the Sugar Bowl. I think they won 11 or 12 games that year. Well, yeah. year two, Brady Hoke decides, okay, now we're going to do it my way. We're going to go pro style. And all of a sudden you take Denard Robinson, who was you know, one of the three or four most dynamic players in college football at the time. And he's not touching the ball in every play now. You basically turned him into a, a slot receiver. You turned him into a receiver. And you neutered what made the offense dynamic, and things went south. And Brady Hoke didn't last, and he ended up getting fired. So I'm always cautious when coaches come in and say, well, this is how I run it. This is the scheme that I run, and the guys have to do this versus, no, this is the personnel I inherited. Let's build something around the strengths of our guys. And you go back to 2022, what you're talking about, right? They figured out you got a bunch of guys who can downhill run block. Let's run duo concepts. Let's run gap concepts. Yeah. And it worked. And again, some teams have three or four lanes in the highway where you can drive and you can win. Sometimes you only have one or two and you got to figure out what those lanes are and you got to figure out the scheme to fit the car. Yeah. Um, one last one on this topic before we go into the head coach GM stuff. Um, a lot of players on this team uh, figured you know, on the free agent list, not going to be back uh, for 2024 and beyond. Um, we won't go through those names here, but um, players for re-signing purposes. Um, talk to us what you know about, um, obviously the big topics are, at least from my understanding, uh, obviously Brian Burns on the franchise tag or not long-term deal. Some people want Derek Brown to be done this summer. Uh, I, I think if I remember reading it, somehow the Panthers are better off cap-wise if they re-sign Derek Brown early. And uh, Luvu on defense as well. Frankie Luvu is also up. And those are three very important players on this defense, especially if uh, the defense is going to stay uh, the course for 2024. Yeah, when you talk to the players at the end of the season, a lot of them vouched for the defense to stay together. Uh, I know Brian Burns had a – quote-unquote, down season statistically. You look at some of the next-level stats. I mean, what teams did you know, against him, there wasn't really that secondary pass rusher. Yitor had some moments, but he got hurt, right, missed a big chunk midseason. Um, I'm still bullish on a guy like Brian Burns. There's there's just too much oh, yeah. talent there. And uh, I do think you need to pair him with at least a, a pass rusher on the other end. And, you know, that guy on the other side, it was supposed to be Justin Houston, that – didn't quite work out. It looked like he was at the tail end of his career. Uh, Marquise Haynes was pretty much injured all season and suffered in a really a frightening injury late in the season. Yeah. And Yitor got hurt. Um, and, you know, DJ Johnson just wasn't ready last year. Uh, but, you know, to me, Derek Brown blossomed into one of the best interior D linemen in the entire league. I mean, what he did last year, 100 tackles from that position. Um, I, I think he's been the best player on this team the last two years. And he shows up. He's there every week. He's consistent. He makes plays. We know how big availability is. Availability is not an issue with Derek Burns, uh, Derek Brown. And then, you know, a guy like Frankie Louvu, um, you know, when you look at the linebacker position, that has been the glory and glamour position in the history of this franchise, going back from Sam yes, Mills, yes. 
Michael Barrow and Luke Keekley and John Beeson and Thomas Davis and Dan Morgan, right? Um, yeah. And I'm missing some, but that's the glamour position. And uh, you know, Shaq's had a, had a very solid career for Carolina, but uh, Frankie Louvo in a lot of ways is the heart and soul and the emotional leader of that defense. So uh, I, I would imagine, <laughs> you know, he's probably high on the priority list. Yeah. Um, I wasn't going to go here, uh, but I will for just a second. Um, since we are talking about defense, uh, there's a lot of chatter out there. Uh, obviously, we know uh, Jero Ibero, um did not get the head coaching job here. Um, do you suspect uh, he'll be back as the D coordinator if he does not get a head coaching job in Seattle or Washington? Or do you feel, uh, you know, because he got passed over twice, he might want to, you know, move on elsewhere? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, again, if he moves on elsewhere, he can only move on as a head coach. The Panthers can block him from doing so for a lateral defensive coordinator position. And, you know, they have already uh, a couple of times, I think. Yeah. But, you know, he's interviewed twice for Seattle. Um, You know, listen, uh, I I think selfishly, if you're a Panthers fan, right, hey, we'd love to keep him. But at the same time, if the guy's got a head coaching opportunity, you wish him the best. You want him to take that. You want him to succeed with that. Yeah. I thought the defense uh, for most of the season was was a bright spot when you factor in the amount of injuries they had. Um, it's a new scheme. And, you know, I think late in the season, yeah, that maybe things caught up to them a little bit. But when you lose Shaq Thompson, you know, lost uh, J.C. Horn for a long stretch. You know, Xavier Woods and Von Bell and Dante Jackson were all hurt at times. Uh, Yitor was hurt. Justin Houston was hurt. Marquise Haynes was hurt. Yeah. And they were able to piecemeal and patchwork this thing together. And I thought the one thing they figured out a lot was made. Well, there weren't a lot of turnovers and there weren't a lot of sacks. Complimentary football is important, right? So if you have an offense that is struggling to score 20 points, you're probably not going to gamble as much defensively because if you gamble, and the risk outweighs the reward, and you put your offense in a hole, might be too steep to dig out of. So I just thought that aspect, they handled real well, and they kind of play this bend but don't break defense. I would love to see, man, what another year of, um, you know, Evero's defense could be uh, in Carolina, especially if you have a lot of the same personnel coming back, and there are a lot of guys coming back. Yeah. Uh, another guy that we didn't mention but could easily mention is also J.C. Horn, who I know has bought the injury bug and hoping to stay healthy this offseason. You know, he has a fifth-year option coming up in May. I, I would imagine that the Panthers – I mean, you could easily not pick it up and then pay him after he stays healthy for a full year, but I understand that they do pick him up because it's he's so talented, uh, but yet he's had trouble staying healthy. Uh, and, and it's amazing – you know, just how fickle the NFL is. Guy didn't have one injury in college, and yet in the NFL, he just, for whatever reason, has not been able to stay healthy. But top two or three corner, I think, in the league when he's healthy. Yeah, and and that last part, when he's healthy and when he can play, he is a difference maker. And you saw it at times a year ago. He played, what, 12, 13 games last season. And when he's on the field, he is an eraser. He can match up with anybody. We saw what he did to DK Metcalf right in Seattle in the game a season ago. This guy's a legit, legit lockdown, shutdown corner. Um, and again, it's it's the same narrative now for three seasons. If he can stay on the field um, and if he can play, I wouldn't even say 17. If he can play 13, 14, 15 games, right. that's a difference maker. On the back end for Carolina, I think it's I think it's huge. I think he is again a guy who's got the potential to be a Burns Brown Luvu type foundational pieces. You you've got 
you've got enough of those guys to build a really good defense. Yeah. Um, now let's get it finally into the um, to the head coach and GM side of things. So for those who might have been living under a rock or not as familiar uh, off social media for the last few days or weeks, uh, the Panthers did hire their seventh head coach in franchise history. Bucks offensive coordinator Dave Canales, formerly of the Seattle Seahawks as well, um, did work with Geno Smith and Baker Mayfield the last two years. Uh, and then on the GM side, we promoted our assistant GM, Dan Morgan, to general manager and executive vice president of football operations. And then we are targeting also supposedly Kansas City vice president of football of operations, Brent Tillis, to come uh, be our cap and contracts type guy in the executive vice president role, um, formerly held by Samir Suleiman. So um, I'll ask you this question based on those two hires uh, to start. What is the vibe in the building uh, when it comes to those two hires uh, in the Panthers? You know, I wish I had a better answer for you. Um, I have not been in the building a whole lot since the season ended. I'm going to be in, uh, you know, this week when we have our sit-downs with Dan and Dave and we have our press conferences, I'll be in there. But um, I have not been in the building a whole lot. So, again, you know, we're at a point where, uh, listen, I don't think people are going to react the way they did last offseason, where it was almost this universal acclaim, hey, the Panthers have won the offseason, and, and we did win the offseason last year. And, again, there's not much to be said for that, right? Right. So I, I look at it this way. It almost felt like whoever you hired as GM, whoever you hired as head coach, I think there were going to be people out there who were going to be skeptical and who were going to bring the noise and the hot takes. and um Frankly, I think we've got to go out and prove it on the field. Yeah, you know, to change people's minds because yeah, that's just kind of how it is right now. Um, I like Dan Morgan. I mean, he's he's a football guy. Um, nothing against Scott Fitter, who I thought was a great human being, um, but I'm I'm curious to see what he can do. Um, Dan uh, Dave Canales has been a coordinator for one year, um, first time as a head coach. You know, for folks to sit here and say, hey, that's a home run hire or, man, why did they hire this guy? Like, nobody knows. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and and that's part of it. And I'm, I'm in the same boat. I'm as curious as anybody to just see, you know, what does this look like? We haven't seen them make a decision yet. We haven't them, we haven't seen them sign a free agent, make a trade, make a draft pick. So uh, there's a lot to play out. And I think I'm like a lot of people. Hey, let's just let's just wait. Hit pause. See how this plays out. Last year, we all got real excited. We all jumped all in, and um, we saw how it ended up. Yeah. No. Yes, we did. Uh, two and fifteen, and uh, not a good record, and not a good season. Um, we, you've seen uh, a little bit now on, on Coach Canales filling out his staff, starting to take shape. Um, you know, there are the rumors out there. Uh, I won't go through all of them, but um, we did officially let go of special teams coach Chris Tabor and offensive line coach. Um, James Campen and then OC Thomas Brown also not being retained. Um, and then on the other side, it looks like we might be bringing in uh, Bucks receivers coach Brad Isaac to serve as offensive coordinator. Uh, they are targeting Tracy Smith, Seattle's assistant special teams coach, to fill the special teams vacancy. And then we've heard rumblings for that Pete Carroll's son Nate might be joining the Panthers in a senior offensive assistant role. And then Tom Cable, uh, offensive line coach for the Seahawks and the Raiders previously before that, uh, could be someone to watch here. So um, 
what do you think about some of the hires that might be out there with Canales and what are kind of some of the guys you think he might be targeting to bring in uh, from a philosophy? Yeah. And yeah, it's a great question. It, you know, just in my position, I, I'm not sure I can speculate on who they're going to go get or who they should get, but I'll say this, the Pete Carroll departure in Seattle does create a domino effect that could be very beneficial for Carolina. Yeah, a lot of really strong assistants who are well regarded by the league. And with Carroll leaving, those guys now become available. And you have a head coach and a GM who both have strong ties to a lot of those guys having been in Seattle. Um, I would imagine both Dan Morgan and Dave Canales are mining those relationships. And uh, it, it might be a really good opportunity for Carolina to bring in some uh, really good assistants who, again, align philosophically with the GM and the head coach. Last three for you, Nish, and we'll get you out of here. Uh, again, Nish Roth has been my guest here on Inside the Vault. Uh, again, co-producer, wrote and narrated the podcast series Cardiac. If you have not um, been watching, that follows the 20th anniversary of the 2003 Super Bowl Panthers team. You can find that on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Um, Anish, three more, and we'll get you out of here, like I said, on this um Bryce Young to-do list this offseason what does he need to do um to just like you said be the player that the Panthers know in the building that they want him and know he can be yeah you know it's funny I, I texted that similar question to a couple of colleagues of mine from ESPN who played the position and the first thing that all of them said was just disconnect for a little bit just separate yourself Take a little time off before you get back into the lab. It's hard to go 2-15 and 15 when you have not probably lost 15 games in your entire career. Yeah. Uh, he took 60-plus sacks on the season. I think he showed us he's tough. Uh, but in so many ways, it was hard to evaluate. I lost track of the amount of times I said on the air, young, looking, looking, nobody open. And that was the case a lot. There were times his offensive line didn't give him a chance. Um, there were times where there were just, again, missed blocks, missed assignments, uh, guys running the wrong routes, and it just became a perfect storm. And then you have the issue with play calling, right, where first you have Frank Reich, and then it's Thomas Brown, then it's Frank Reich again, and then Reich is fired, and then it's Thomas Brown down the stretch. And, again, down the stretch, you got a lot of assistants who were worried about their futures at that point when the head coach is fired and – you know, th th there's a lot to unpack. I think the Green Bay game is probably the one game where you look and go, okay, that version, and I know we only got it for one game, but we did get a glimpse. If that's the version that we can take into 2024, great. Does he have a lot to prove? Yeah, absolutely. He's got a lot to prove as a second-year quarterback, but sometimes we're too quick to judge, man. He's, he's still a rookie. He was still a rookie, a rookie quarterback in the NFL, and I think you know, we just thought the support system around him would be better than it turned out. So, um, yeah, I kind of look at year two. I almost look at it as a as a clean slate for Bryce Young. Um, you know, disconnect, recharge, get right, get aligned. I keep saying that. <laughs> it's a good word. Yeah. All your offensive staff, but I think that's going to be a big part of it. The ideal uh, – this is kind of a blank question. You can go where, where you want with this. The ideal offseason uh, for the Panthers looks like what? Quiet. <laughs> quiet. And I don't mean quiet as in 
not making any moves or not signing anybody in free agency. Um, but I, I don't think it's a bad thing to fly under the radar this offseason. Okay. Go get your guys in the draft. Go get your free agents. Uh, last year, again, all the hoopla, the buzz, right? The number one pick, the coaching staff. Uh, again, I, our fans just want to see wins. And so get right, get healthy, get into the season and show improvement from what you were in 2023. I don't think there needs to be a lot of waves and splashes in the offseason. Well, I would act, I would even go a step further. I would argue, yes, the fans want to see wins, but the fans want to see alignment. They want to see between the GM and coach and owner. They want to see the culture, the hope back. And I feel like this past season, uh, a lot of fans would argue that there's not a lot of hope right now. And so I think the fans want to see the hope back in the Carolinas. Um, and to me, that starts with Bryce Young. I've said it uh, many times on the air. He's the beacon of hope. If he is a franchise quarterback – he's the guy that you still believe he is everything will be okay <laughs> well we'll get you out of here on this we'll get some uh, predictions from you rapid fire and, and again uh, thanks for coming on inside the vault uh, let's get some uh, predictions as you go out the door um most improved panther player in 2024 will be who Ooh, that's a good one um Icky Aquanu. Okay. And I'm one who thinks they will keep him at left tackle. I don't believe this whole stuff with the guard. I, I think uh, – I don't remember who it was, uh, so I, I can't credit him, but he was on one of those big ESPN shows or whatever, and he was former lineman in the league. And he's he's not specifically about Icky and his struggles. And he said a lot of offensive linemen peak year three is where they is when they kind of take that next step uh, into the NFL. So let's hope he's right. Um Panther player um, that will be someone who you could say uh, someone who's on the roster who um, this is kind of a similar question, but someone who um, takes that next step um, who is um, on the defensive side of the ball, I guess is what I'm going to say. I that was not what I was trying to say, but say, say same question, but for the defensive side of the ball, who would that be? Um, I'd probably say JC Horn. If he can stay healthy, he's a guy who can be an all pro and a pro bowler. If he can play a full season. What is your uh, boldest prediction for 2024 Panthers? Uh, it can be something off season related during the draft 2024 season, you know, regular season. What is your boldest prediction as play by play announcer for the Panthers next year? Boy, you know, I, I tend to stay away from this stuff. Um, you know, you, you can go where you want to go, but you know, and I'm not going out on a limb here, but I, I, I guess this is more just what I would like to see. I'd like to hear sweet Caroline a few more times. Okay. That, that, that seems like a, that seems like a great place to end it. Uh, a lot of fans would love to see and hear sweet Carolina so many more times. Um, well, as I said at the top, my guest today has been Anish Sharaf, play-by-play -play announcer for ESPN, but 
more importantly, for your Carolina Panthers. Again, if you haven't already, uh, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Go listen to Cardiac, the 20th anniversary of the 2003 Panthers season, uh, where Anish co-produced, wrote, and narrated that podcast. And again, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, go listen to that wonderful journey back from uh, 20 plus years ago. Hard to believe it's been that long, Anish. <laughs> you know, it tells you how hard it is to get there, right? I mean, we've been in the NFC Championship game. Um, you can count on one hand the amount of times you've been to two Super Bowls. Uh, it's 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 hard to get there. And the fun part of living out that season with the guys that we talked to, and it was Jake and Mike Rucker and Al Wallace and Masin Muhammad and Julius Peppers and all those guys that we talked to, was you know just some of the the inside stories there. Um, I still get chills when all the guys were recounting when Sam Mills gave the keep pounding speech. Uh, the day before the Cowboys game or the the Hope Stout story or to hear Steve Smith just unfiltered, you know, episode eight, um, uh, the greatest showman on turf was about Steve Smith. And you know, there's this AP article after um, you know the playoff win against the Rams and the, the opening to it was something along the lines of, you know, Steve Smith was, you know, not very well liked in, in his own locker room at one point. And now he's, um, you know, kind of become this, this guy. And then, and, and this, and that was his yeah. star turn that season. And so uh, to see Steve talk so openly and candidly about his journey and, and, you know, those moments, you know, that was the great thing about that podcast. Like it, we didn't want a, a play-by-play of the season, but we wanted to have a, an emotional heartbeat in each story. And whether it's Jake DeLome telling you about his journey to the Panthers huddle and finally getting that opportunity or John Fox coming in or, you know, the, the Stephen Davis to Sean Foster dynamic. It was it was a lot of fun to, you know, kind of relive that um, twenty years ago. I, you know, remember that season really well. Even though I wasn't in Charlotte at the time and wasn't a Panthers fan at the time, I I was in college at the time and I remember that season real well. Where this upstart team, you know, yep. kind of came out of nowhere and close game, close game, close game. And you know, to hear it from the guys who lived it was pretty special. Well, uh, once again, Anish, thanks for coming on episode 26 of Inside the Vault, uh, and we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Ryan. And that will wrap up this edition of Inside the Vault, a Carolina Panthers podcast, episode number 26. I'm your host, Ryan Smith. Rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We will see you next time.